And uh, thank you for being here uh, today. Uh, before we kind of jump in, as uh, you all know, we're kind of, uh, last week we began our look at the Sermon on the Mount. And um, as is the case when it comes to kind of uh, more sensitive topics, I just want you to be aware that next week uh, we're going to be talking about uh, two different things. We're going to talk about anger and we're going to be talking about lust. Uh, and so I just want you to be aware of that, especially you parents with kids, because if there's one thing our kids know, it's that we get angry with them all the time, right? Um, that was a joke. The actual thing you may not want to bring them here for uh, is a conversation about lust. And so I just want to kind of throw that out there. We will make it as G as we possibly can. But uh, I just want you to be aware uh, that that's what we're going to be talking about next week. But not today. Today we're talking about the salt and the light. And so we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 20. And so I invite you to hear These words from Matthew. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill." For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven." For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, on this beautiful morning, we come to you fully aware of your presence. And Lord, we continue to pray that prayer for your kingdom, that it would come on earth as it is in heaven. Please open up our eyes and our ears to the ways that you would speak to us. May our hearts be open to you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength. And our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, since uh, I know some of you were out last week because of the inclement weather, uh, thankfully it's much uh, better today, and, and others probably who were here just have absolutely no recollection of what I talked about, um, I decided to just give a brief little recap on the Sermon on the Mount because it's important for us to know how to frame and understand what we see in the chapters of 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. One of the things that we talked about last week was that, was that Jesus was beginning to grow in popularity. 
People were uh, following him more and more as he began to heal uh, more of their diseases, as he began to cure people of their sicknesses, as he began to proclaim the kingdom of God. There were more and more who were beginning to follow him, but rather than doing what most of us might do in that particular situation and trying to garner even more popularity, Jesus stowed away on a mountain, so to speak, and he went there not by himself but with his disciples. And a part of the reason why he was doing this was because he realized how important it was that these disciples and the ones that would follow would be able to be the ones who would carry on his message of love and grace. So one of the things that's happening here then is that Jesus sees the community of disciples again all the way down until a community like this one now as being the prototype to the future. That that these should be a people who are living out the kingdom of God so that the society and the world around it, when it looked at us, would be able to see what the future was going to look like. The future kingdom of God. Now, as we said last week, that comes with a fair amount of humility because we also know that we will not be able to do that perfectly. That we will make mistakes. It's a part of the reason why Jesus has the first beatitude be, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who are fully cognizant of the fact that they are not perfect, that they will need Jesus, that they are dependent upon God. And for a people like that, Jesus says, if you can be a people like this who are humble and gentle and who are desirous of leaning upon me, then you can be a people who are helping to bring about righteousness, right relationships between God and others, and a people who are peacemakers, as Jesus says, or shalom bringers, those who are trying to bring wholeness in every part of our world. The reality is that There will be many times when the society around us either doesn't care or simply rejects us. And so a part of our reaction is to continue to live out the kingdom with gentleness and with the confidence that God is always in control. So as we begin to look at the different ethics that Jesus is going to be teaching, we need to be reminded of the fact that these are not simply lessons to help us be a better me, to help me to be a better father or a better husband or a better friend. And while it certainly may do that, all of this is underneath the framework of shaping a community that helps, it, that helps the world around it to understand what the kingdom of God is going to look like. Which brings us, of course, perfectly to our passage for this morning. Jesus begins by saying, you are the salt of the earth. And then he says a little bit later, you are the light of the world. Now, I don't want to kind of, I don't want to make you nervous. I'm not going to go through this whole thing word by word, but it is important that we begin by looking carefully at those first two words. The very first word is you. 
One of the things that we need to understand, if you've ever taken a different language, uh, many other languages, it, the way that they spell it out is different than grammar, right? Or different than grammar. So, in other words, uh, whenever you're doing something in Greek, if you have the verb, right, you conjugate it always in such a way that you know whether or not it's I or you or he or we or they, all of those things. So oftentimes, you don't need the pronoun like you, Right? But in this particular case, when Jesus is talking, he decides to also use the actual word you. In other words, what he's really doing, if you really kind of want to spell this out, he is saying, you, you are the salt of the earth. You, you are the light of the world. It's like it would be if it was italicized in English. And a part of the thing that's important about that, it seems to me, is that Jesus is wanting all of us to know that it is you who are the salt of the earth. Not the person who's sitting right next to you, who it seems has everything together. Not the man or the woman across the sanctuary, whom you know is a really good Christian and they seem to always have it together. No, what Jesus is saying is not that person. I don't care whether or not you think you're up to it or whether or not you know every kind of problem that you have. What he begins is by saying is you, and just as you turn around to see who else he's talking to, you. I don't think you get that. So I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to say, you, you. Now, there you go. Which is important, because just as much as Jesus is saying, you, you, as a person, Jesus is also saying, you, all of you. You see, this again is where the English kind of lets us down. When you just say you, we don't know if it's singular or it's plural. But in the Greek here, it is plural. So, of course, what actually he's saying in a place like this, Indiana, what I most often hear is is you all. You all, right? If you're from the south, it's y'all. Y'all, right? If you're from New Jersey, as I oftentimes hear it, use guys, right? Or or in western Pennsylvania, I know I have some western Pennsylvania friends here, yins, right? Yins are the salt of the earth. Yins, yins are the light of the world. In other words, all of you are the salt of the earth. God is calling all of you to be the light of the world. It continues how I've talked about the framing of the Sermon on the Mount, which is that this is not just about one person. This is about all of us. This is not just about how to become a better you. This is about how do we become a better us so that we then can be a ministry or be a ministers to the world that is around us. How can we be the salt and the light to all those that are around us? Y'all, y'all. The second word is also significant. The word are. You'll notice that this is not given in what they call the imperative. This is not you should be the salt of the light of the earth or you need to be the light of the world. It says you are. So whether you want to be or not, whether you think you act like that or not, Jesus is looking at you and he is saying you are the salt of the earth. 
In other words, Jesus is giving us a different identity, a different name. He's not saying this is something that you should try to be. What he is saying is live into who I have already told you you are. And that's significant, it seems to me. See, what you're named or your identity plays a huge role, it seems to me, in how we act and how we understand ourselves. I know that some of you, my guess is you stay up late at night and you wonder to yourselves, I wonder what Pastor Jerry and his wife Megan talk about. How many of you, like lots of you, right, so... um. And perhaps you wonder, do, are we always just talking about Jesus and the Bible and the church? And of course the answer is absolutely. But in those rare moments when we are not, we are talking about other very deep issues. And one of those issues that we oftentimes talk about is our names. Now I've shared before, my, my name, though I go by Jerry, that's not actually my real name. My real name is Jeremy. Right? But my mother, for some reason, she wanted to call me Jerry, but she didn't want that to be my formal name. Whatever. So I go by Jerry, right? And I want you to hear this. Jerry's a great name. Because I know we have some Jerry's around here. So it's a great name. But I also want you to hear this. That, uh, that Jerry is a great name oftentimes for people who are at least a couple decades older than I am, right? So my grandfather has a lot of friends named Jerry. I have very few. When I was growing up, there's just not that many people named Jerry who are in their 30s or 40s or younger, right? So it's not always the most cutting edge of names, if you will, okay? Now, my wife, Megan, she's got a great name. Megan's a great name. We have Megan's here. Megan's a beautiful name. Please hear me. However, in Megan's class, she had five other Megans because when she was born in 1980, Megan's was incredibly popular. But, of course, that didn't mean that it was really cutting edge. It just meant that there were a lot of them, right? And so Megan, when she was growing up, she always kind of wished, you know, that she had a little bit more cutting edge name. And she was almost named after her mother's maiden name, which was Carter, right? And so we have had conversations more than I would like to be honest about where we have just asked ourselves, what if? What if, what if we were Jeremy and Carter rather than being Jerry and Megan? How cool would that be? Right? Who's coming over for dinner tonight? Oh, Jerry and Megan. Mm. Who's coming over for dinner? Jeremy and Carter. Oh, are you kidding me? They're so cool. Right? Now, I'm, I say that half-jokingly, but there's some real truth to it, right? That, that there's confidence in the names that we have, right? That, there, that it kind of changes how we feel about ourselves, our identities, right? We see it with children all the time. If you tell children that they are smart or if you say, you know, you're wonderful, all those things, it changes rather than if you tell them something differently. We live into our names. And my point is that Jesus saying you are the salt, you are the light, is not just kind of flipping that out there. He didn't just make a mistake. No, he wanted you to know that that is how he sees you. And even though you may not think you are up to the task, he keeps looking at you and he keeps saying, you are the salt. You are the light. And that's important for us to grasp and to begin to live into more fully. Now, I say all of that, and I still want to give a warning. This is perhaps, I, I always get nervous when I talk about this too much because I think it's important that we know that we do all of this with a great sense of humility. 
right? It would be easy, I suppose, for some to think, well, that seems kind of arrogant that you think you have all this power. But I think the reason why Jesus does this is because he wants us to know that it is not insignificant, the influence that we are called to have in the society and the world that is around us. Right? I get nervous sometimes. Even the song that we sang a couple times last week, and we're going to sing it again here after the sermon, it says that the church is the hope of the world. And when I hear that, I get a little anxious because I say, well, you know, it's really Jesus. But, you know, but, but the reality, of course, is the song kind of already talks about that. Right? The song already talks about the fact that, that God to empower us so that we can really then be the hope that we are called to be. And so there's this tension, right? We tend to be kind of extremist. We are. We either want to think that we can do everything on our own or that we're wallflowers and we can do nothing. And Jesus says, no, here's what you need to know. Del Bruner says that, 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 that we are both a people who are humble and a people who understand the significance of the mission. People, it seems to me, who are going to be able to, to really reflect the kingdom of God are a people who, who know that all of our identity is in Jesus. This isn't about us, it's about God. And yet, it is significant, as Jesus says, for us to let people to see the works that we are doing so that God can be glorified. To not have some kind of false humility where we can't ever really reveal what God is doing in our world and in our lives. So there's humility, but there is also diligence and passion that comes from knowing that God has called us to this life. That he has said, you are the salt and you are the light. Now there are a couple pretty obvious things that this brings up. First of all, the reality that if we are the salt and if we are the light, that that means that we have to get out of ourselves, out of our church buildings, out of our houses in order to do so. Someone has said it's a bit, if we don't do that, it's a bit like kind of having a, 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 some salt that's like about a millimeter away from the food and thinking that that will actually change the taste of the food because you have the salt so close. There are far too many of us, far too many churches who think that they've done the work when they've erected the building around us that's really close to the society outside of it, as if we have done something, right? And as we've talked about before, that's not helped by the fact that we always measure how much salt we have, right? Every week we measure how much salt we have, how many people have come, right? That's, that's what we measure, and so we get excited because our pile of salt is getting higher and higher, even if it's not getting any closer to the food, you see how foolish that is? It's insignificant. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that we don't get excited when we see more salt. We love that. Salt's great. But it does mean that if that's where we allow it to stop, then we have done nothing and as are insignificant as salt that's close to food but not actually a part of it. And so we're told that we have to both, we have to get outside of that. And that's a part of the reason why we asked you to do the survey. We know that many of you, most of you, are doing things out in the community that we don't know about. And we want to know what that is. We simply want to get a glimpse as to what exactly is happening and, and how are you working. And, and it's also because we know we're, this is important to us. And so we're, we're trying to come up with a second mission partner so that we can kind of join and, and figure out how else can we as a church make sure that we are being the salt out there wherever it is that you are. 
And the other thing, though, that that means is that we need to start trying to change things up a little bit with how we're doing things here. And in April, we're going to do a little experiment. I'm not going to get into it too much right now, but we're going to do an experiment where we see what does it look like for you to be salt and light in your neighborhood. We actually did a little pilot group of about 20 folks this last, uh, let's see, what was it, August and September. And we asked them to be more intentional in their neighborhoods, to be more intentional about being salt and light, about being grace and loving and listening and reaching out and just to see what would happen, right? If all we're ever doing is talking about how many folks are coming in here or what worship is like in here and all those things, and that will be our focus. But So, so in April and, and May, we're going to start asking you all to do a little bit more in your neighborhood. So if you don't want to do it, don't come in April or May. We'll have less salt. But hopefully the salt that we have will be flavoring the food around us a bit more. Right? And it was cool when we came back together again to begin to listen to some of the stories that people would tell, these 20 folks would tell about what they had experienced. Now, I want to hear me. It wasn't as if all of a sudden, well, you should have seen it. You know, uh, uh, people who were going to be divorced were all of a sudden, you know, they weren't going to be anymore. And everyone was so much more loving. And people were always in our homes, all those things. No, but they were small steps, little, little shakes of, of the salt shaker, if you will. And we began to see little things that started to happen, that started to change because people started taking more seriously the call to be the salt, that they are the salt and the light. And those small steps are important. You see, the thing about salt and the thing about light is they aren't always the most exciting of things. Right? Salt is just kind of there. It's very natural. It's all around us. And yet... It's not insignificant. Sometimes I think we think that we have to do things that are just extraordinary. We have to do things that are just explosive and, and so that we can come with some kind of radical story to tell. And, and I think more often than not, the real way that we begin to really change the society around us, the real way that we help to become a witness to God is through slow, steady shakes. I've got a good friend of mine who I talked to this past week, and three years ago he moved into a neighborhood, and he said, all right, uh, and he's, he's one of these guys that's very intentional. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to love and love and listen and care and be graceful and all, for all my neighbors, and so that's what he's done. He's been doing that for three years, right? He's opened up his house to them. He's, they've had parties together. They've celebrated things. They've kind of met in the backyard and just chatted. They've been very intentional about this, and, and just two weeks ago, uh, his his neighbor came over to he and his wife and began to kind of talk about things. And they began to open up about something that she needed to kind of confess, if you will, something that had been bothering her that was clearly on her mind. And, and so they sat there and they were able to kind of receive that, right? And my, my friend said, you know, it was almost like a confession and an assurance of pardon in some way that we had. And, you know, it was this remarkable thing. And it, it wasn't like she converted to Jesus, so to speak, but it does mean that she began to take off the mask so that they could start talking about real things, right? Kingdom kinds of things. And I said, well, that sounds great, man. That's wonderful. And he's like, yeah. He's like, but it took three years for that to happen. But more often than not, that's exactly how Jesus works. We are an impatient people, but what Jesus wants us to do is to be able to take a salt shaker and every single day to just go out and to see what we might salt. 
And you may not see any difference. You may not taste any difference for a day or a week or a month or a year. It may take two years. It may take three years. It may take more. But the question is, are you living into who Jesus has called you to be? And do you trust that at some point you will begin to see how you going out there each and every day salting has begun to make some small or large change? That's what Jesus is asking us to do. So brothers and sisters, over these next, in this next week as we kind of continue to kind of think about the Sermon on the Mount, I, my hope and my prayer is that you continue, especially over these next couple of months really, to continue to ask what does it mean for us to be a glimpse of God's coming kingdom? And I want you to know that as you think about Jesus sitting up there on that mount 2,000 years ago, that when he was looking out and when he was saying, you, you, that he was not just talking to those disciples there, but that he was talking to you. That he was talking to you. That he was talking to you and to you and to you. To all of those, those who thought, well, I'm up for this, and those who said, I just don't know. And for us in any way to say, well, we, I don't think we can do that. Or, I, you know, I don't think Jesus knows who he's talking to here. That's not false. That's false humility. And it is not living into the reality of who Jesus has said you were. And it is to, it is to overplay or to not believe the significance that you can have in being a part of the mission of God. So in this next week, these next seven days, your homework is to ask yourself each and every day, right? When you go and you're sitting there at breakfast and maybe you put a little salt or at lunch or at dinner time and you, and you, and, and you pour a little salt or you see a little salt or, or even if you walk outside today and you see that there's been salt that's been spread out, right, on the roads or on the sidewalks, every time you see that salt, I want you to ask yourself, to whom can I shake this salt at this week? Who is it that God is asking me to reflect the grace and the love of the kingdom of God? Knowing that each and every time that you shake that salt, you are living into who Christ has called you to be. And you are looking more and more just exactly as Jesus sees you each and every time day. You, y'all, yous guys, all of you, yins are the salt of the earth. Remember that each and every day that God's kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.